Case number two zero two one zero one zero three. Investigators Adam, Evan, and guest. Subject matter: Social media normalization. Welcome to Case Study. I'm Adam. I'm Evan. And today we have a guest with us, our friend Michael. Hi, I'm Michael. So today, I want to talk about social media and what I like to call social media normalization. And I want to preface this by saying this will be related to another podcast that we're likely to do on algorithms, but uh, that's not what we're focusing on today. What we're going to focus on is how the rise of social media kind of gave way to the environment i would say on the internet today and how people use it differently than when it first came out so i want to kind of start by kind of giving background on when we jumped into social media so i would say we're around the tail end of the millennial generation we're slightly too young for myspace but we were old enough to start uh using facebook and i don't know about you guys but i remember Back when we first got into Facebook, man, it was it was great. It was just you and your friends, and you would just hang out, and there were these Facebook games that everyone played, like Mafia. I never got into them, but they existed, right? And you would just hang out, chat, share things on people's walls. And an interesting thing for us as well, we were kids when we were getting on Facebook. Like, probably members of our generation were outside of the terms of service getting onto Facebook must be 13 or older to join. Um, I think I probably was. But we had very naive and immature opinions about what Facebook was, and we probably used it differently than we would today if it came out, is part of that too. I mean, just for me personally, I think I joined the last of all three of us. I joined senior year of our high school after AP tests because that was my family's rule. I couldn't do any social media till after like senior year, basically in March. So, I mean, I kind of do. My first experience was definitely on Facebook and I do think it has still much of the same very cringe-worthy moments of social media that everyone has when they first start using a social media site, but I do think mine has potentially question mark slightly more common sense if that's what you can call it at 17. Yeah, and you can kind of see, and we'll talk about this throughout the episode, but once these companies started trying to figure out how to make money, it became very difficult to use. And I'd like to start with at least mentioning the two big ones, Facebook and Twitter. They both have these huge numbers. Um, I, I checked the financials for Facebook, and it, it says they have $2 billion daily active users, which is only 7 billion people on the planet. 2 billion is a lot of people using it daily. And looking at their earnings presentation, it's so far removed from their product. It's just numbers. And it basically just bundles all of us into numbers of revenue. And in fact, there's a slide in there that ranks or at least gives you your average revenue as a single user on average for Facebook. I think for 2019, I think it was $33, I want to say, but they don't even see you as a user. They see you as a number and you just exist in millions. Q3 2020, $39 for the US. 
I mean, that's that's a pretty standard thing these days, though. I mean, it's never you have to be a small business to have a personal relationship and, and really kind of as a business view people as people. And the companies that do in a medium to large format are really an exception. And it's really impressive. So I, th- I think it's it's expected that we view social media to view us in that light. But it's also like. Oh, yeah, we use it to to be people and and to be present. But for the companies and corporations, we are dollar signs. Yeah. And again, same with Twitter. I looked at their earnings just briefly. They didn't have uh, a user count, but they did have what they called daily active, monetizable daily active usage, which I found was a really interesting phrasing in that they didn't actually explicitly say how many users they actually had. And the other one I'm going to mention is actually Reddit, which claims 52 million daily users. So these companies, they push, there's a bigger and bigger push to push people onto their platform because obviously they can sell advertising money to more eyeballs, right? You have a lot of traffic. But back when we started, I didn't really see any ads, did you? No, I don't, I don't think, I don't remember any ads. I mean, like there was game stuff. I mean, like Farmville had posts and things, but that was also more like there was all these things like, oh, message your friend to get whatever Farmville bucks or whatever it was. I do not remember, but I did wholeheartedly yeah. play Farmville back in the day. And you would, it was, God, we were what, like 12, 13? You would, you would send it to your friends and be like, can you help me get strawberries or whatever? And like people would help you. And it's like, okay. Yeah, I definitely don't really remember any advertisements i definitely remember the time when facebook twitter tumblr like free mobile games too they didn't have ads and then all of a sudden maybe 2015 2016-ish all of them just had ads and there was nothing any of us could do as much as we protested we all just kept using it and just accepted the ads i think yeah and it's interesting to me because they moved from these very niche things so facebook right they started as like a kind of stalkery kind of a book of faces, right? It was like, these are all the people that are nearby. These are the people that you would know and have connections with. Cool. And then it turned into this weird, like public forum thing over the course of so many years, right? Like over the course of the past decade, now it's like every single person in your family has Facebook and all of your like local representatives, local offices, companies, they all have a Facebook presence and they're all fighting for your eyeballs basically, right? So then you, you, when you bring in all of your family members, right? I would say that with that comes some sort of barrier to entry, right? You at least need a computer or some sort of device that can access the internet. And with that and these big pushes from companies to get more users, you want to push to different demographics, right? And and there's another interesting like societal change there is the advancement of social media and the normalization of social media has also come along with the advancement of technology and the advancement of all of that that comes with it. I mean, like back when the iPhone came out and the iPod Touch was still a real popular thing, like that was kind of early days of social media and it was kind of this neat, cool thing. Like, oh, you know, yeah, everyone has these things. You can go see these things. And it was 
I, I'm going to call it an exclusive club type feel because there wasn't a ton of people on it and it was limited by the people who could use it. This almost harkens back all the way back to the early days of the internet when you could diagram out every college that could connect to other colleges. You know, it was a, a club, a, a, a mentality, an inclusive group. And as technology improved, it grew. And as it grew, it brought in more people, more people, more people. And now this kind of inclusive club idea where it's like, oh, it's neat, it's sheltered. I have my friends, I have these people that I can talk to and I'm interested in. And it grew into just these huge, huge populations of people that are now on it today. Yeah. And the public forum aspect of it is really interesting to me because it's kind of like now everyone has a voice. And before social media, it was like, hey, everyone has their own opinions and thoughts, but if you never got outside of your four walls, no one would hear them. And if it was, a say, as an example, it was a bad opinion, it would basically never leave your door and no one would basically know about it unless you went up to them and told them about it. But now with social media and these big public forums, now everybody has an opinion. Everybody can say whatever they want. And I find that the older generations tend to not understand that that's public, even in the sense that it's person to person. But now everybody that are in those circles can see that. And as you were saying earlier, Evan, and it's it makes a lot of sense, even the old school like forums forums for a specific product you would have like in jokes you would have the language that you would use the culture of the group that you were with right which for a small group of friends makes sense right you all know each other's jokes you know the you get the humor whatever but now when you start adding other people in from the outside then it's kind of like they don't know what's happening so they either have to get in or they basically get excluded. But that's sort of the normalization of the social media sites, right? Because their job, or at least their what their goal is, is to get more people to use their product. But once you start bringing in more people, then you run into this issue where now you're bringing in people who aren't quote unquote in to this group that is in. And now you're, it kind of feels like you're intruding on their space. But these big companies don't care. I think there's another interesting aspect to bringing in more people that at least as a personal anecdote, when my family started getting on Facebook, I stopped using it in the same way. But that was also part of me growing up. I was a kid using Facebook. I would post weird, random, young, immature, you know, middle school, high school things on there. And then once my like parents and aunts and uncles and god now grandparents i think even have one that stopped because i'm like i don't want these people to see the things i'm doing and i think there's an interesting aspect there that i i don't know if we're going to be able to touch on today is uh oh god i'm going to try and say the word anonymization versus being uh, yeah we'll just call it anonymization and, and it's a uh, on facebook you can be if you make a fake account but then what's really the point because no one's going to know who you are and facebook is really about 
connecting with your friends and people you know that's why it's it's a like going all the way back it's a book of faces it's who you know it's who you can connect with yada 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 and when you're sharing all these things and posting all these things and you're bringing in more and more and more and more people it starts to get to the point where it's like i don't want to share that with people but then other people have the thing of i don't care if they see it and there's these competing personal like I guess it's a almost a belief system of like I can throw this out to the world and I don't care who of my family sees it. But then there's other people who I want to keep my life relatively private and I don't necessarily like putting out all this thing to all of this huge circle that is now there. Like I still have family that I have not friended on Facebook. I'm just like, nope, you don't need to see my stuff. I don't want you to see my stuff, you know, so. I think really getting into that kind of like self curation, I think of your uh, social media presence. I think Facebook generally has a connotation that you're definitely going to make that the most clean, professional, almost as clean as a LinkedIn, honestly, because that's what people will look at, especially like nowadays with college admissions and um, job professionals. A lot of companies will look at that and colleges will look at those things. But as opposed to things like Instagram, you can definitely make 12 accounts and you can have one real account and like 11 Finstas or fake Instagram accounts for parties or when you're literally high on like and drunk to no end or especially Twitter because you can also have a million of those accounts and in particular um, so I'm involved quite heavily in the Japanese and American fandoms for a lot of um, shows and media a lot of the artists will have specific accounts for each show or um, media program that they're very invested in to keep things organized and try to try to preserve a particular image of themselves because you know there are there are artists and they are still trying to make a living off of commissions and just selling themselves as artists and like people that make consumable products so again i just think that with how social media has evolved and because there's so many channels you're able to now as opposed to when we first started using social media you're allowed to kind of pick and choose and curate your own image and how you want to be portrayed as opposed to maybe just being restricted to this is the only option you have because this is the only site that exists for you right and speaking of of twitter i think that's a really good jumping off point is you know back in the day when twitter started it was created as a microblogging service, right? People were tired of reading these huge giant blogs. So they're like, hey, all of your thoughts, they only need to fit in the size of a text message, 140 characters. And now it's like this weird breaking news feed. It's a stream of consciousness that exists. It just goes and goes and goes. And when you mentioned, you know, artists having these different accounts, I think that's taking advantage of the platform in a way that works for you. It's definitely different than what it was intended, right? And between what you said and what Evan said, now that your Facebook is no longer, it's basically public, right? Your, your circles of friends are all linked together. So everyone that can see each other are now in a sense public. Whereas Twitter, you can stay relatively anonymous. You can just make a new account, whatever. But that does change what you can put out there on each platform right and if your twitter is just you then that's your limitation for yourself right but it's just interesting that now with the growth of social media that's that's sort of the attitude you have to take to it i want to go back real quick to forums because they've always existed in this weird semi-social sphere right have you ever like googled a problem and you found like say you're working on homework and you were like, oh, I have a physics question. And you Google the question and you 
end up on a physics forum. You read the answers, you're like, great, got my answer. What are the chances that you would sign up for that forum? Pretty low. Pretty low. But they have their place, right? They have their small community. The barrier to entry is high. You have to sign up and you have to at least either be interested or at least in passing know about what's happening on the subject. The issue I find nowadays is that places like, as an example, Reddit, which has generalized forums in a sense, tend to bring in external people that might not necessarily know what's happening. And this kind of covers all of these different topics because it's like you're bringing in all these people and they don't know what's happening. It's kind of a continuization of the anonymization issue. If I say on Facebook that I have this, you know, you can go and be like, I got educated at whatever school. I have bachelors of this, you know, yada, 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 yada on something like Reddit or a forum you can sign up with like your email and, and whatnot or on Twitter, you can sign up with your email, but you can just put out your thoughts. Um, now, something like Twitter, something like Reddit, it's kind of this hive mind popular, like you are anonymous. And one of the issues that you always run into now because of growth of social media and, and, and how many people use it is you have idiots pretending they're experts right? That's always an issue in, in any sufficiently large subject is you have people who think they know what's happening and they pretend to be experts and they can be wrong. They can be right, but you need actual experts to come in and, and determine what those things are. And forums can tend to avoid that a little bit because of smaller communities and having dedicated moderation teams but any sufficiently large forum will still run into that issue because it is still anonymous. You will still have people who, you know, fighting in the forum threads and, and say, no, this is the right way to do it. This is the wrong way to do it. Yada, yada, yada. Like car forums. Everyone has opinions on oil changes. And I still don't know what the right way to get your oil changed is. But you can find any opinion backing up your thing. And really, it almost comes down to you, the individual, need to look at these things and understand the basis of them and how are other people using these things for you to get a good read on it. I think that the word forum itself, or just if you just look at the history of how the forum was used in public society, especially in classical Greek, uh, Greek, Greek and Rome, like those are literal open debates where a person is in a coliseum lecture lecturing about a topic that they i assume know a fair bit or extend about in particular usually philosophy or mathematics or the sciences but i think when you actually look at the literal definition of a form compared to now i think that its definition has really changed because of the anonymization of how you're able to remove that actual no the knowledge of who is the one speaking, are they accredited or trusted individual. And also, I think just a very particular thing of how forms worked uh, when it's person to person is you don't have an audience in that initially reacting to every single word and expression that you make. I think when you're typing things out, it's significantly different than if you're actually speaking to someone person to like face to face. You know? And that also kind of leads into the how Facebook is has its own like there's all sorts of issues there. But when you're looking at your family and your family shares like let's just 
when your family shares a racist meme or caption or whatever, you can always be like, oh, yeah, that's just my racist uncle. Okay. You know, like, you know where that's coming from. You understand, like, when he comes to Thanksgiving, you're like, yep, kept that that's that's racist jim okay you know just to you know throw whatever out there but on anonymous sites you don't have that it could be your racist uncle uh, but you don't know and and you like so there's kind of these opinions and and like you said that it's changed how those things operate versus what it used to be for all these social interactions because of how social media has has grown and adopted these techniques so i have a question i don't really use reddit like ever i the only time i ever touch reddit is when you two send me something but so i know facebook and twitter have like those verified like people or in general they're usually like celebrities or social media people i know that i do wish that they had like verification for actual like doctors and true experts on their fields but i was wondering if reddit has any kind of verification similar to facebook or instagram or twitter so this is it's complicated and we might touch on this more after the break but i'll just briefly go over it so reddit at its core is a link aggregation site and what that means to you and i is that people post links and they can comment on it and they can vote on it and that's basically it your profile is essentially here are all the things I've posted and here are all the comments that I've made. So depending on the community, each community has different moderators, right? They all have different moderators working on, you know, per the community. But depending on the community rules, you'll have different methods of quote unquote verifying people. They can like assign you a, a flare or a tag that says, hey, this person is an expert in their field. Uh, as an example, Ask Science will go out of their way to say, hey, if you have expertise, a PhD, you've done research in this field, message us proof, and we'll attach that to your username. And so that way, when you're making your responses in the comments, you, people will know, hey, this is what you're an expert in. That being said, of course, I don't know that that would, you know, probably this, it would be have to have a similar process on all these other sites, because otherwise, how do you know who's who? And there's, there's also some less formalized instances of that. I mean, it, it's almost uh, akin to older forum styles where you just see the same user around all the time and you know who they are, what they post, you know, like if you're on, say, a Jeep forum and you're going around like, oh, yeah, that Jeep, that's, you know, high tread 32 or something. And you just know their posts. But like you see that uh, just uh, an example is on a lot of the literature subreddits, the user on Reddit Mistborn is Brandon Sanderson. He doesn't verify like it's just that's who he is. He posts as Brandon Sanderson. That's that's him. He doesn't he, you know, maybe he has verified himself to the mods, but like it, there's just a general knowledge consensus that that's who that is. He doesn't have the anonymity in those communities because they know who he is. You know, I am still anonymous because I'm not a famous author, but you see things like that where you have generalized communities, you know, that have specifically known users in that way. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. And we're back. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about Reddit. We went into a little bit of detail on, on what it was about, but I wanted to bring up the fact, and I don't know if you guys have noticed, at least Evan, that once subreddits reach a certain size, they kind of just decline in quality. And I'm sure you've seen this on other social media sites as well, but like 
once it just hits a certain threshold, it just goes to crap. I don't know what it is. I subscribe to a lot of different reddits and once the population of that community grows to a certain size, I find that the post quality and the comment quality kind of all just falls off. And I'm sure you've seen this in other social media sites like Facebook groups, maybe large group chats or similar communities where you have enough people talking that the signal to noise ratio just kind of evens out where it's a lot of noise and it's just the quality is just declines. I don't know what it is. I, I think part of that too, though, is the I personally think that the quality is the same because on smaller, like let's just go in with Reddit, on smaller subreddits, there are still junk comments and jokes and in-jokes and all that sort of thing that you see everywhere. But what happens is, is because it's a smaller volume, your brain and you are better able to sort it out and get for what the meaningful content you're looking for is. But when it's on such a huge, large scale on like a bigger subreddit, you are collectively relying on everyone else there to sort it out so you can have a curated experience. And it's that that's impossible. You cannot rely on other people to look at these things and grasp what you think is high quality content. And, you know, like some people are going to show up on a subreddit and just want, oh, what weird futurism, you know, what's the weird tech going to be in the next 10 years? And some of it's going to be hyped up nonsense that's impossible. But then sometimes you'll run into like really in-depth discussions and it's just on a smaller scale, you're able to get to the really in-depth discussions and the really interesting content quicker. And so it feels like there's more of it or it's just easier to get to than on a larger scale, I think is a big part of it. And, and that kind of feeds all the way back to before the break when we were discussing the how much social media has grown is there's more and more people and more and more opinions and more and more topics that are just swamped with people with opinions that are educated or uneducated either way. And it makes sense. Reddit, like we said earlier, boasts a 52 million daily user count. And with the growth of these small communities, you will almost never shrink the community. Once it grows, it stays grown. And this is something that we'll touch on in another podcast that I would like to do on algorithms. But what you were saying is leading into that. Basically, there are systems in place to determine the popularity of posts and they kind of push those stories to the top. And it's actually worse on bigger subreddits because the collective is not good at making decisions <laughs> and it's very easily manipulated. And you'll find this actually on most sites, I would say. And I would say that is due to the popularization of those sites. I'll take another example, Twitter. Someone tweets something and it gets a lot of engagement. Replies, retweets, comments, or sorry, favorites. Twitter sees that and goes, hey, this is a good tweet, I'm gonna push it up. And now more and more people interact with it. But because there's so many people on the site, a lot of people see it. And it just kind of snowballs in that sense, right? Then it goes back to what Michael was asking, which is, is there any sort of verification that they're a reliable source? The answer is no. You basically have to take their word. Is that a good thing? I don't know. 
you know, we should have verification, but then at what point can you say, hey, well, maybe I'm doing a research into this very sensitive topic and I don't want my name out there for this issue. How do you verify that you're actually who you say you are, you know? I think uh, an, an interesting kind of follow-up to that, though, is when we're looking at how social media drives what we see in social media, be it, you know, what we shelved before algorithms or be it just social pressure, you know, when you're on Facebook and you're seeing what your family's posting, your family is is shaping your culture and society and, and your local social media presence. You know, Reddit, your subreddits, your whatever are, are shaping that. And there's an interesting when, when you start looking into what do I see? Why do I see it? You really have to start breaking down what are the demographics of who's using this? And I'm gonna I'm gonna use Reddit because I am on Reddit a lot. It is a hugely American population. And so you see, and, and let's just look at the subreddit, politics, which to, on its surface is a generic political subreddit, but it is primarily US political issues. And that's because of the demographics of who uses these sites. So when you're looking at things like daily users and you're looking at Reddit, it's like 52 million. And then you look at Facebook, it's like 2 billion. It's like, okay, there's clearly an international presence here. And you start looking at how are the, the circles of interaction structured in a way that focuses what you see on social media and that's going to impact what you get as a user out of return for using social media. If I'm seeing like now talking about Twitter, I follow almost all of the emergency information public service agencies in Southern California because I want to know what's happening. What are the issues? Are there fires? Are there earthquakes? You know, whatever. I follow all that stuff. And that's really my primary use of Twitter. So that's my circle. I get emergency notifications, I get interesting tweets about what's happening, and I get that reward out of using social media. But if I wanted to follow like cute cat pictures or something, like I can get cute cat pictures. The issue becomes when you don't have a say over what you're seeing on a site like Reddit, where you just like go into the front page and you have all these aggregated you know, posts and things from people Going back to what you just said, Evan, about how you follow a lot of like emergency notifications on Twitter, I think that, mm, maybe not think, I believe or assume that, you know, obviously recently since I was in high school and the newspaper, I care a lot about journalism. And I've just noticed as I get older, there's less and less accessible journalism. And I've really noticed a, an immensely huge shift to social media for journalists reporting their breaking headlines. So everyone now in the world, they don't have to get past that uh, paywall to read a, an in-depth article. They can just read some large, about any large international or national or local news even. Um, and it's free within 140 characters or less. And I'm just kind of curious for y'all's thoughts on this, just because to me, I'm torn as to whether it's good or bad, because on one hand, I do believe that access is really important, especially because we still do have a lot of internet deserts in America in particular. So I think that that's really good. But on the other hand, I do want to still support journalism through um, like paying for it if, I, if possible and when I possible. But I'm just wondering what y'all were thinking about this, if you did at all. So for me personally, I, I'm of the opinion that the, I'll call it the abbreviation 
of news into the the tweets and and posts and things i i I categorically i think it's bad i think it's not a good thing for both the journals and journalism and newspapers and, and and journalists and i think it's bad for the reader the consumer the the uneducated trying to find out the news and uh, the reason i think it's bad is because it and it kind of leads into a whole issue with how we use social media you're scrolling through it and you read a headline and you're like oh you know earthquake in patagonia or whatever and I'm not going to go and click through the link, you know, and, and read this article because I got what I needed out of it. It's like, oh, there's this disaster. OK, it doesn't impact me. I'm good to go. But when you're reading like a newspaper article, when you open the newspaper, you have a headline. And if it grabs your attention, you kind of instantly start reading that paragraph. And it's written in such a way that you are intended to keep reading it. Like it, there's certain things I'm sure you can explain it better, Michael. There's certain like things that you need to have to grab the reader's attention and, and kind of build that story. And that's missing when we're just looking at a tweet, a headline culture. I mean, it's there. Don't get me wrong. Like you can build a tweet that like grabs your attention. But nowadays we call that clickbait. And that's a whole separate can of worms that, you know, we can get into. I've actually heard some journalists on Twitter, now that they've, they've upped the limit to 280 characters, that they still agree with you, Evan. That the way you have to write to fit content into that amount of space is just not good. If you have the freedom of this huge blank sheet of paper, you have the ability to be more articulate in your thoughts, then trying to squeeze in your thoughts, basically compress them, into this small box but you're kind of forced to with the medium unfortunately i wonder then if what this is getting to the heart of is the fact that you lose nuance when you're restricted to such a particular limit such as now 280 characters and i think this actually does relate back to what you said about overpopulation of a social media forum is when things get so large things are really i personally find that a lot of people are just chiming in to get on a bandwagon so that they seem relevant they seem with it they seem aware and correct um but i think that with when doing that it's really easy to lose the textual nuance it's required to have an in-depth understanding, knowledge, and ability to communicate the nuances and true differences between like A or B or C or D even. So I wonder if like the nuance is truly the thing that's being lost when things are being shortened and um, just cut and truncated to such an extent that it's barely recognizable beyond clickbait. Yeah, and that brings up a really interesting point, which is that people live in the time of now and instant gratification of either what you're doing or you're trying to be the first to break this news. Maybe you don't do as well of your background research before you just blast out this piece of information that may or may not be correct. But by the time it's out, it's too late to retract it because it's on the internet and things on the internet exist forever. The opposite of that course are things that don't exist forever or at least people don't think exist forever now that's the rise of of these story type features snapchat i think was one of the first services to really popularize it and then of course instagram copied them and nearly every other social media platform has copied them at some point i think youtube has their own type of stories and twitter now also has stories and i'm i'm just baffled 
but it's just this ephemeral content that requires you to live in the now. You only get to see it for this amount of time. And then after that, it goes away. Now, what do you guys think? Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing that maybe unvetted content like that can go away quickly or that because if you tweet something as an example, right? If you tweet something, it exists there. It's in your timeline. It's there basically until you delete it, which you're probably not going to. So I think there's an interesting issue there, which is so much of social media. I'm, I'm going to kind of backtrack and then get to the point you were making, Adam. So much of social media is sharing your life for other people to see. When, when we're looking at I'll call it classic social media versus like Reddit, which is link aggregation, but Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's all sharing your perspective, sharing your stuff, putting it out there. And 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 Snapchat, you know, going way back, it was eight seconds. Here's this little video or picture, whatever of this thing. You can see it. Your friends can all see it. And then it goes away. On its surface, I think that's okay. I think it's okay for things to disappear. That said, I never fully understood the utility in having it disappear. Like if I'm going to the effort of like me personally, if I'm going to the effort of sharing this video to my friends, why do I not want to like keep it? Why do I not want to be able to share it to other people who maybe not, aren't on that platform? Like, and it, it puts you in this, this constrained box of here's this thing, here's it shared. And that's an interesting thing where I think there's a little bit of an insidious like, hey, get your other friends on Snapchat so they can see your snaps, right? That's one of the games that gets played is you're trying to sh share with your friends um, and, and that happens. And it's kind of this weird middle ground of you're trying to share your thing, but you're also trying to like preserve it. I don't know. It's, it's complex. I think I'm on the opposite side of this debate where I kind of really like stories because I don't feel that it has to be a perfectly taken photo and I really enjoy that because I don't have 10 minutes to take a photo of an outfit that I'm wearing to go to the grocery store now that it's a pandemic or that it's still a pandemic honestly or I take for a lot of my stories in particular they're very shaky they're very grainy or they're just really awfully boring things like a few days ago, I posted a story of me doing my yearly cleaning of my boots. That's not a thing I really want on my Instagram as a post, but as a story, I think it's still like, I'm still there, I'm still doing fine, and I'm still at home like everyone else should be. So I think stories do have the benefit of they don't have to necessarily be as refined or as put together as a typical post. But I also do think that it also has the benefit of showing like you still... Are willing to interact with your social friend group that are on that media because if you post it to your story in particular instagram you can have close friends so you can send it to particular people in case you don't want some people to see something like an ex or something particular or a friend frenemy but it also saves you the time to me it saves the time of taking a photo and then sending it to like 20 different people that i would send it to anyway when i just send it to close friends on my instagram story I think there's an interesting follow-up there, which is the like semi-professionalism that gets becomes present on social media these days. Like like you just alluded to is some things you don't want to put on your Instagram because it's, Instagram was this place for you to post neat, curated, good pictures. And if you just want to share something with your followers on Instagram, but not really like, like that's a really interesting interesting use case but i think it brings up how 
I'm, I'm sorry, Adam, we're go I'm going to bring it up slightly here, is how the social media companies determine what gets seen by other users. And, and that kind of alludes into algorithms, but it's it, really briefly on the surface, it's, it's by interaction and likes and shares and, and you know, retweets, tweets, replies, upvotes, you know, whatever. It's, it's by user interaction is, is the primary method. And if you post something that's not, you know, it's a shaky video, it's something that most of your friends wouldn't care about, it's not going to get the user interaction on your Instagram. And so it's not going to really show up in other people's feeds. And that is an, a, a prime use case example, like you just said, for the putting it onto stories and just kind of throwing it out under the wind. So other people who wanted to check it out can check it out, but you're not relying on other people to interact with it on your primary social media pages so that the people that you're interested in seeing it can like have it pop up because really when you go onto your social media you don't see everything everyone else posts you see what other people interacted with what other people posted that's what you see and that's a really interesting issue and problem with how social media has evolved today yeah and i think companies really know that like you were saying if they measure post based on engagement and you post this picture to your story that's like basically throwaway. Maybe people interact with it, maybe they don't. It really doesn't matter to the company because unless they're trying to serve you ads in between Instagram and Snapchat, then you're really not going to be interacting with the rest of the product, which is the social media site. And bringing this all the way back to what Michael was saying before about what a forum is, I think it's interesting that the need for humans to want to be social has enabled this new type of public discourse, which is basically this ephemeral piece of information that appears and disappears. But because of how prevalent social media is nowadays, your attention span is so short that that's perfect for that use case. Basically, we went from blogs, these huge pieces of text, to these short pieces of text, and now it's maybe a piece of text in like less than a paragraph that just disappears once it's over. It's just gone. I think that maybe because our attention span, attention span really is so short compared to perhaps before, I think this has really led to the involvement of people's like FOMO or fear of missing out really. And I think this is really evident by how Instagram and TikTok, I think, have really just increased in popularity exponentially, especially during the pandemic, because we can't go out and see our friends as we would and hang out and have that social interaction, I think, that people innately crave. And with this FOMO, I think that it really causes people to really hop on trends or challenges or um, just to really seem relevant again and to be active and to be seen by other people, not necessarily themselves, but by other people as someone who is current, uh, relevant, and worthy of, like, staying up in the, in people's top feeds of interactions, and, um, and I think that's just really, really fascinating. I, I don't think it's good, especially with how it affects people, and, like, the, the psychological effects, but maybe if you two, what do you think of that and stuff? Well, I, somewhat related point, I just, can I just say, if, 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 social media attention span is down what the heck are we doing here recording an hour-long podcast you know <laughs> mm. 
No, I think uh, fear of missing out is an interesting thing. And I think I have a very different perspective on it because I hardly use social media. I have accounts. I don't check them. I don't use them. I don't have them installed on my phone aside from my like Twitter emergency notifications. And I check Reddit. But Reddit is fairly anonymized, so I don't really like interact with family, friends, whatever. So my fear of missing out is basically null because I don't really like I just kind of have been like, I don't really want to be a part of this. I don't want to be trying to share myself. But so what I have, uh, I guess, not necessarily fear of missing out, but what I value is the social interactions that we do in person and like like this over a video call and 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 speaking as friends and playing games together as friends and like I get a I feel that I value those things very highly because that's how I interact socially with people and I'm not to cast any like you know negatives on people for using social media because it's a big part of today's social culture but that's just how I've developed as a person is I value the the interactions that I build and curate with people off off the screen essentially even though we're on the screen right now you know especially with the pandemic so that wraps all the way back to our very first topic which is about Facebook and I would say that people now you connect with people that you already know on Facebook, right? You're more likely to do that than people you don't know. So you build your network that way. At the same time though, it means that you have already established connections with these people. You're just using Facebook as a method of staying in touch. You could easily use literally anything else to communicate with them. But the fact that you picked Facebook to do so is sort of the interesting thing here. It's because you go, you have to kind of decide, and like like Michael has been saying, what's trendy? What's the thing that everyone's using? What's most convenient? And that's that's sort of what I find super interesting about if we go all the way back to the very first thing I was talking about, which are the earnings of these companies. They're positioning themselves as this sort of hub for everyone. Now, if you do that, you end up with this weird mix of, okay, I'm interacting with people I know, but also all of these other things can also interact with me. And you have the, the rise of these weird, I would say like brand accounts, where these huge companies have a fairly sizable marketing team that just manages these social media accounts acting like people, basically. They make jokes, they post funny pictures, whatever. And it kind of amplifies people's, you know, perspectives on, on these companies, right? In order to sell you something, their impressions. But these big, these big social media companies, right? If they're acting as, as hubs for you and your interactions with people, because you have the choice of picking their site over another site, but they're positioning themselves in a way that there are no other sites. They have a monopoly on your attention, right? You basically go, you're either on Facebook or you're not. There is no alternative at this point. They basically have a monopoly on, on your mind share, not necessarily your, your actual thoughts, but if you wanted to go find out some information, for some like local events that's not breaking, where would you go? Probably Facebook. 
And and there's like a weird middle ground there, which is me, right? Which is I have the accounts, I have people friended on there. I you know maybe once a month I get on and I look at things. I'm like, oh, what's been happening in the people that I care about, but I don't actively use it. And that makes me not a user, basically. Like I, if I'm not getting on and checking things, I'm not using social media. I have ways, basically I use it as a pseudo address book, which is a way where it's like, if I need to get in touch with someone, I can get in touch with them this way. That's how I use social media. And unfortunately for me, uh, it it means I don't have that large of a friend group. I, it, we can argue social media friends versus not, you know, like there's a whole thing, but I don't have like the broad connections to a large group of people that people who actively use social media do, right? But there's an interesting, like, are you a user? Are you not a user? Are you an in-group? Are you an out-group? Like, that causes this whole thing, and it's all digital, and it's all on a screen, and you don't have the control over it because it's all user-based and, or not user-based, but it's all, like, corporation like the Facebook and Twitter are kind of controlling behind the scenes what content gets seen by who and that's I think is a huge problem uh, that leads to a bunch of social issues and like group issues today but we can talk about that later (laughs) so that goes all the way back to the very beginning I would say is our usage now has changed from where we we started it's possible that, you know, after we've been talking about this for the past hour, that I think maybe it's not that because of adding, you know, more people to the site makes it worse or, you know, similar things like that. I think it's, I think, Evan, I think you're right. The quality of the discussions were always kind of there. Even if you raise the noise floor, the signals are all still there. But... I think now that we have matured in understanding how to use these properly, as well as these companies changing how they push, you know, content out to you, the user, you personally will change how you use these sites, either for good or bad in that sense. Uh, and, and and real quick, I know we're, we're getting close to the end here, but just in, in a parallel how we use social media today is different, right? We, we've kind of established that. In the early days of the internet, it was, oh, you would have, you know, Twitter hashtags were like not necessarily optimized. You would like tag things and throw them in. But like the big buzzword in a lot of stuff today is search engine optimization, which is similar to how users have to use social media. If you're trying to get on to like specific people's pages, you need to tag that thing certain ways so it shows up in certain people's feeds and do all these things. And that is changed on the internet as a whole in, in the last decade. You know, early Google was a link search tool. You would put in your thing and it would pick the best whatever and and they've improved their their algorithms over the time but also people have got better at playing the algorithms and that's effectively what has happened is we as users are trying to broadcast our social you know posts to as many users as possible so that it can be seen by even more users and that's how we have to play the game these days and i think that social aspect built into these social media platforms 
the human nature of, of wanting to be social is what this takes advantage of. And with that, I think that is a perfect place to end our episode today. I want to thank everyone for listening and our guest, Michael, for being here. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Aces Cases, on Instagram at casestudy.show. We have a website, which is also casestudy.show. And we'll see you later. Thanks for listening. Case number two zero two one zero one zero three closed.